Tracy Johnson and I talked about the connection between nutrient availability and splicing. I've been fascinated by the effects of nutrients on cells ever since I did my PhD on glucose repression in yeast, way back when. A fairly new idea is that glucose availability might regulate whether and how RNAs are spliced. I asked Tracy how she made the connection between glucose availability and splicing, and about how it all started with the GCR1 RNA, an RNA with non-consensus splice sites. Before she answered the question, she provided, thankfully, a little refresher on how splice sites and introns are recognized. So introns have, kind of, in yeast particularly, there are three main parts of the intron that defines it as an intron. There's a five prime splice site, a three prime splice site, and that just means those are the ends that are the parts of the intron that are, you know, right up against the axons. And then there's a branch point. So those are the three main features. And there are sequences that are characteristic of introns. Um, but there is variability. And there are some, you know, branch point sequence, five prime splice site sequences that are not quite consensus. And um, in many cases, those can still be efficiently recognized by the spliceosome. Um, and so we're really interested in, in how does the spliceosome distinguish between these kind of perfect consensus sequences and ones that are a little bit less consensus or non-consensus sequences. Now, getting back to GCR1 and how nutrient conditions affect splicing. As happens in science, it was sort of fortuitous. <laughs> so um, GCR1, it's a glycolytic transcription factor. And we did not set out to study glycolytic transcription factors. What we really became interested in is uh, understanding how the spliceosome recognizes introns with non-canonical splice sites. And so GCR1, RNA, in fact, has non-consensus splice sites. Um, and so, you know, we wanted to understand how the spliceosome recognized those. That was one of the example genes that we started working with. And so um, we discovered that under different conditions, the intron was actually not being removed, that the intron was retained under different um, nutrient conditions. So then we thought, okay, well, if it's not getting spliced, then, you know, we must not be making a protein. But that was the frustrating thing at the time, that even when we were inhibiting splicing, we kept still getting a GCR1 protein. And so it turns out, we, you know, we wanted to set out to really understand what the heck was happening. So it started off trying to understand how these non-consistent splice sites are being recognized. Then we discovered that something was strange that was happening, that the intron was being retained. And even when the intron was retained, that there was a protein being made. Um, and that's where we are interested in the, you know, the glycolytic transcription factors involved in sensing nutrients, how they're regulated. That's how we stumbled onto that. Well, it turns out that there is a translation signal in the intron, as well as specific structures that direct the ribosome to recognize an intronic AUG. And what's been cool is that those retained introns are translated using the intronic translation signal. And that is dependent of course, on um, intron retention. 
So the regulation of that RNA determines the availability for that other protein isoform, which turns out to be important under certain nutrient conditions. So the proteins that are made when the intron is retained, the protein that's made has a different role in different nutrient conditions? Exactly. And it has a functional role under different nutrient conditions. And so both the form of the protein that comes from the spliced isoform and the form of the protein that comes from the unspliced isoform, the cell needs both of them under different conditions. But that really started, we absolutely didn't set out to, we we weren't expecting it. It, the, The observation really came from the surprising results that even when we blocked splicing, we were still getting a protein. And this was a very specific protein that was expressed from that intronic translation signal. And it turns out it's probably not the only one that now when we've looked more closely, we can see other examples of this type of regulation happening in yeast. Yeah, I was just going to ask you that, whether the signature of the AUG with the requisite ribosome recognition sites in an intron was elsewhere in the genome as well. And if it is elsewhere, I guess it would be really cool to know if in all of those cases, is it because the yeast is responding to different nutrient conditions? Uh, It's a great question. I don't think it's only nutrient conditions because um, if we look at where those intronic um, signals are, they're in transcripts that seem to be important under other conditions. So I do think that they're probably regulated in response to particular sets of needs of the cell, not always nutrient, but maybe other things that the cell needs at a particular time under particular sets of conditions. 